0: You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week, my guest is Allison Landa. She's the author of Bearded Lady. When you're a woman with a beard, your secret is written all over your face. Allison and I discuss what it was like for her to have a beard and the complications of dating, how she felt ashamed to write the book but pushed through anyway, what it's like to be married to Adam Sandler, the hard truth of being a mother, and so much more.
1: Hi, I'm Allison Landa, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony.
2: And the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah.
0: You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Alison Landa. She's the author of Bearded Lady. Alison, how are you?
1: Doing great, Tony. How you doing? I'm all right.
0: You know, got getting over a cold. I guess as you can as you can tell, as you said, you like you're sounding a little raspy there before <laughs> we got on mic.
1: <laughs> uh, I am too, so I probably sound like I've been smoking a bunch of cigarettes. So
0: maybe if we smoke a bunch of cigarettes, it'll even it out and we'll sound normal.
1: That that's an idea. Let's yeah.
0: try it. Yeah. I've known you for years and now you have your first book out. I am so excited. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I'm thrilled. Yeah. It's so awesome.
0: What? So what was it? When did you get the book deal and how long have you been working on Bearded Lady?
1: Oh my God. I've been working on Bearded Lady for 17 years. It's really? been in the works for that long. Yeah. it's. I started in a graduate school at St. Mary's College of California and that was in 2005. Um, and I really, I decided I wanted to write this story and I was scared to death to write it. Like, I was like, I don't want anybody to read this. I don't want to write it. And I went up to my mentor, my, my graduate school mentor, and I told him about it. And he just said, sweetheart, go for it. And I was like, okay. So that was 17 years ago. Um, I got the book deal right around October of 2021. And the book came out in October of this year.
0: So it's so it's interesting. I really love that you're that you were scared to write it because I know that feeling oh so much the shame, and mm-hmm. and then when someone says you have to, it's almost like now when now with when I talk to other people and they're like oh my god I could never write this because blank 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 and I'm like now you have to oh, <laughs> it's just, exactly it.
1: exactly it's like a commitment you know it's I shouldn't like I. I think the way that it came about was my grad, um, his name was Wesley Gibson, um, my graduate school professor. And he had us write down a proposal for a story or something longer. And I thought, oh, Jesus, like, I don't want to write this. I don't even want to touch this, but I'm going to do it because I'm going to commit myself to at least putting it pen to paper. So I did that and I turned it in and then I couldn't look at him. I was just like, Oh my God, don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. And then he, he just said, sweetheart, go for it. I mean, that was it. That was all he ever said to me about it, but it made me feel like it made me, it invalidated me, it yeah. made me feel like I wanted to write it. And I, I loved him dearly. Unfortunately he passed away a few years ago, but I just, I loved him. He was, he was my man. He was my mentor. And if he said, go for it, I went for it.
0: Oh, I love that. So, beard. So, tell us what. Um, tell us what bearded lady is. What is because th- it's connected to a um condition,
1: correct? That's correct. I have something called congenital adrenal hyperplasia, which is a really big term for something that is similar to PCOS, which people may uh know a little more. Um, essentially, it's an adrenal condition that creates things like infertility, obesity, um excess hair, that sort of thing. Um, and it's also it can be a lot worse, I should say. Like, I only have a very mild condition. But what happened was it gave me basically a beard, which I don't have anymore, but it took a lot of both like cosmetic work and medical work to remove that. So what I wanted to write about was the twenty the 20 years between being diagnosed and being treated. Because when I was diagnosed, I was 10, but I wasn't treated until I was 30. So I wanted to write about that arc Um, and in writing about it, what I realized is that there was a higher theme and the higher theme is what makes you feel weird in the world. It's what makes you feel different. What makes you feel strange? What makes you feel like when you walk into a room, like, Oh God, they're looking at me. They see fill in the blank. For me, that was the beard. I was terrified. I mean, I shaved twice a day, like a man, like, you know, covered it up with makeup, but it, it just, it was there. And even if people didn't see it, I saw it, I felt it. I knew that it was there. And so I really wanted to write it to make people feel like, hey, look, you know what makes us feel weird also unites us. And that was a higher theme that sort of came about as I was writing it. Um, so hopefully that that comes through.
0: It's interesting that uh, that the theme that you realized what the theme was as you were writing it, like how far along do you fit? Like how, many, how much writing did you do before you realized oh, wait, everybody has something that they're trying to hide or mask from the world.
1: Oh my gosh. I think it was two drafts in because I write and then I rewrite and then I rewrite. So it was two drafts and I had sent it to an agent and he got me on the phone and he said, look, it's a great story, but that's all it is right now. It's a story. You need something more. You need some connective tissue to help people understand what this is all about. And I thought, I don't know what you're talking about. But then I sat down and really thought about it. It's like, oh, there's some higher themes at play here. There's things that people can relate to. And I should also stop and say that I do a lot of real, or I had at the time done a lot of real estate writing. And a lot of the real estate writing that I did sounded so repetitive. It's like beautiful homes, great schools, blah, 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 blah. But how do you sell it? Well, you sell it not by selling a home, but by selling some sort of lifestyle and to sell the lifestyle, you need that higher theme. And so I thought about that and it's like, Oh, actually there's higher themes in this book. And that's how I came about it. It took a long time.
0: Wow. Uh, Real estate writing sounds like it would just kill a writing career. I did (laughs) a little little bit of ghost writing and it's just like, it, I, I felt like it stole my soul and it like took my writing soul and just put it away and like, and and became a dead carcass for about nine months until, <laughs> until I was kept breathing life
1: into it. Like, come back, please come back. Are we both dead? Resuscitate it. You know, it's interesting, Tony, like honestly, well, first of all, it, it fed me literally because I made money, but it was, more, it was actually more than that. Like I, I was able to use my creative drive to do it and just to get over the boredom of, of repetitive over and over saying the same thing i really put i put effort into it and it helped me in my creative writing i can't say i'd rather do it than my creative writing of course i'd rather write creatively and i'm fortunate enough now to be able to do that more often um but at the time it was really something that i saw as a venue for using words and that was, you know, the craft of words can sell a home and it can sell a really expensive home. So I really thought about that. I was like, well, let's just have some fun with this because that's important too, to have fun with it. So hopefully, you know, that came through writing.
0: That makes sense because what I've been thinking about way too much for way too long is the, is the idea of access and I'm um, I realized when I was younger I was so bent on access <clears throat> even if I'd go see bands at the Fillmore or whatever I wanted to be in the balcony in the corner making out with my girlfriend and we mm-hmm. and I would just walk right up there with her and we'd sit down and then the bouncers would be like hey dude and I'd be like well you know it's just me and my girlfriend it's cool." and I like I had this way of like and then they'd be like, you know what, just hang out. Just if someone comes by, just, you know, just pretend like you didn't see me. And, and yeah, yeah, that's cool. And but that's been a constant in my life is to kind of get backstage or or be the be the goon who gets to the press screening, who isn't a journalist. And then all of a sudden <laughs> later on, it's just like, oh, you're a journalist. But um, but getting ac- and so when selling a house, it's almost like you're you're giving people access to a neighborhood, you know. Especially like here in Los Angeles, if you sell a house in a certain neighborhood, oh, by the way, Jack Black lives next door. And then all of a sudden the person thinks, I'm going to be best friends with Jack Black, even though they probably will never see each other.
1: Right. Exactly. And it's very similar here in the Bay Area. I mean, it's like it's it's access, like you said. I mean, it's if you're writing about, say, Danville, you know, one of these Walnut Creek, one of these really expensive areas it's almost like you're giving them a peek into what it's like to live there. And if you do it right, they really wanna live there. And what I realized is I could port that over into the creative writing. It's like, you know, you can tell a story, you can tell the very basics of a story and it can sound appealing or it can sound unappealing. But when you get to know the characters and you get to know what populates that narrative neighborhood, so to speak, it really appeals to people and it really draws them in. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted I wanted people come to come to my neighborhood and understand what it was like to live there for a little while.
0: I like how you said that. So when you're writing the book, are you um are you kind of considering, are you totally realizing that you are the character and the protagonist and kind of just understanding that kind of separating yourself from what you're writing as you, even though it's you?
1: Absolutely. You know, you need that distance, you need that perspective. And there's a reason that I I couldn't write this book. I'm 48 now. And I couldn't really, really sink my teeth into it until, let's see, I was diagnosed at 30. I probably started writing it three or four years after that fact. I needed that, uh, that distance. And so it was interesting because that while that protagonist is me, absolutely. And she does what I did. And she says what I said. There is that separation. And I really think that's important when you're writing memoir. I think it's important when you're writing anything to have perspective. And I needed that. So I couldn't write it when I was going through it. That was just, it wouldn't have worked. I needed that little bit of distance there.
0: You were were diagnosed at 30 or you? I was
1: diagnosed at 10. You were diagnosed at 10. Okay. Yep. Not Uh, 30.
0: So when you're, when you're 10 years old, what, what, what happens? Do you just do, do kids start making fun of you? Do you Does something just like, what was the shift for you?
1: Oh, I mean, well, it's interesting. I actually think sometimes think that the kids can be nicer to each other than adults are, but definitely there were kids that made fun of me. I was called the werewolf um, things like that. You know, I was definitely, I was definitely ridiculed. Um, and I feel like it was more behind my back than to my face. And it would almost have been easier if it was to my face. But I knew, I knew people were talking about that. We're talking about me. We're talking about she's different. And I just sort of, I pretended that that didn't exist. I pretended that that wasn't happening because I couldn't really walk through the halls of the school and think people were talking about me. It just would, it would destroy me. And I'm not thinking, I don't feel like everyone was making fun of me. I think for every one person who did, there were 10 people who were really kind to me.
0: It's kind of like book reviewers where it's just like, you know, for every 10 people are like, oh my God, I really love this. I connected this because of blank, blank, blank. But there's the one person that's just like, nah, it was crap. And you're like, and the one we remember is just like, oh God, the one that said it was crap. Where does he live? I'm going to find him. Does he understand (laughs) how long it took to write this book?
1: Exactly. I mean, you remember that one, you know, every, every kind person kind of falls into like their own category, but you don't remember them. And then that one person who made fun of you, that one person who denigrated you for whatever reason you remember, but I do remember that it wasn't as, I even, even now, I do remember it wasn't as bad as it might've been. I mean, when it happened it was not fun, but it was also I think people, especially talking to people now who knew me in high school, they, they say that I seemed confident. They say that I seemed as though it wasn't a thing for me, this, this beard thing. And maybe I just didn't let on. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, you can never truly see yourself from the outside. And, and so I will never really know how I appeared, especially back in those days. But I'd like to think that I walked through the world a little more confident than I felt.
0: Did you go to your 20 year high school reunion? I
1: went to my 20th and I went to my 30th. Oh, you guys had a 30th? They they totally
0: cheated us. We didn't get 30th. So, but, um, get
1: 30. Oh, no.
0: But at my 20th reunion, when I had just finished writing Jesus Jerk, and, um, and I, and I didn't, and I, you know, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness and this was very shameful for me. And I was trying, even though I totally believed, I felt like I was the big outcast in high school. And when I got to the 20th reunion, I thought I was like, I had this secret that everyone was, you know, I was, I was getting off, on getting by on everyone. And everyone was just like, Oh yeah, we knew you were a Jehovah's witness, but you were cool. And I was just mm. like, wait, what are you kidding me? I was tortured that I was, you know, I just felt so tortured, like a tortured soul. But then I started to realize Wait, we're all tortured souls. Why would they care if I'm a Jehovah's Witness or not? You know, they're working on what's going on in their head. We're all so essentially wounded as teenagers as we're trying to just figure it out. Mm-hmm. That it's, yeah. It, I thought I was the center of the. I thought I was the center of the universe, and then oh crap, I wasn't. Even though I had to wear a suit and knock on your door with the Bible every Saturday while you had fun, or you know, it's just like. <clears throat> it's it's um and, and i even and in and in high school which this intrigue why your story intrigues me so much was there was a girl who also had a beard and she would have it sometimes and she wouldn't and i i was never friends with her because she wasn't in my grade and i never knew who she was and this is in milbrae so it was kind mm-hmm. of a bigger bigger school but her locker was on my row and i would always see her but I ne- i never felt like i just always kind of felt like oh like I just remember being a kid going, Oh, she's nice. That's why is she in that situation? That's I think that was just kind of the probably split second thing I had where I just remembered it and just like, Oh, that's nice. And that that's got to suck. And that was kind
1: of it. And that's a really kind way of approaching it. And I think that most people do that. Most people are more humane about it. Most people are more understanding about it i I think i think the people who are nasty are very few um but you know you remember them they stand out for sure but i think for the most part you know you don't you don't really get that you don't really get and i see that in my my son is seven right now and he's in first grade and i see how the kids are They're, they're so sweet with each other and i'm just like man you know was that the way that it was for me And I actually think that it was not bad. It wasn't, it it really wasn't awful. Although I do remember, and this is in the book, I remember standing in front of the school and seeing kids on the bus laughing and pointing. Were they pointing at me? I don't actually know. But like you said, I think you make a really good point where you think they're all looking at me. They're all, you know, going to ridicule me. And the reality is they're way too preoccupied with their own stuff. And what makes them feel weird? And I think you make a great point there. I mean, I remember reading a book called City Dharma by a guy named Arthur John, I believe. And he was based in L.A., actually. <laughs> Excuse me. I sound like I'm dying. Um, and <laughs> we're, all,
0: we're all dying. It's just slowly happening.
1: <laughs> it's slowly. It's exactly. I'm, I'm I'm hopefully a few decades away from right. that. Okay. Um, But I remember he said something about, you know, people... Don't notice you the way you think that they do because they're really occupied with themselves. And that was very liberating to read that. I wish I had known that in high school. It's extremely liberating. Yeah,
0: If we can, if we can, go back and tell tell ourselves in our high school selves, Hey, look, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. You know, Mm -hmm. this girl actually does like you, you just, she doesn't know how to show it. (laughs) You know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. but, but it, but if you have the, if you have, if you're ahead of it on the game, then that leads to other problems too. So.
1: Right. This is, I mean, you know, you all you can get tripped up by any number of things, but I think being self-conscious is kind of a cat's cradle. It's like, you know, you get caught up in it and, and you get angry at the people around you. It's like, how dare you make fun of me? How dare you define me? How dare you, um, you know, have, have these nasty thoughts about me when really they're probably just thinking about themselves.
0: Yeah.
1: And like you were saying, you know, when you looked at that girl with the beard, you weren't thinking about her in some punitive, nasty way. No, yeah. not at all. And I I really love that because I feel like that is hopefully how most people saw me. And when I had my 20 year reunion, no one ever said to me, oh, I remember you. You were the one with the beard. And then when I had the 30th reunion, that was right before the book was coming out. And people were just so excited for me. Yeah. They were so happy. Nobody said anything nasty. It was actually great. It was like the anti-reunion reunion. It was fabulous.
0: yeah isn't it um, I wish we had a 30th because I think the 20th reunion you're still in your 30s and you're still cocky
1: like I was still
0: there's still that cockiness and then that was and then like when you're in your 40s it's just kind of like and yeah it's you know what what are you doing and I'm not going to judge about what you're doing because it's just fun to see you kind of thing
1: right right you change I mean you change and you evolve and I think that that is a beautiful thing. And I really wanted to capture that in the book as well. Like the idea of like evolution, the idea of evolving ideas about oneself. Um, I mean, when I was 10, my ideas about myself were vastly different than even when I was 15 or 20 or 30 or or now. And I think that the idea of like your self-concept evolving is something really, really cool. And I wanted to, really capture that in that 20 year arc.
0: Well what was dating like for you? What was what was your romance um
1: growing dating. up? Dating. Dating what? <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I did not date. I, I didn't date until my twenties. No. I really didn't. I had a lot of good friends, but I didn't I think the the fact was Tony, I kept up the wall. It was yeah. me. Like I kept the wall up and I was just like nobody's getting past this wall. And when I met my husband, I was third. No, I was 28. Wait, is, is you, ha- so
0: let's just tell the audience you're married to Adam Sandler. Okay. I am married
1: ahead. To Adam Sandler. That is correct. I'm married to not, if I say not the Adam Sandler, that's, you know, he's that's degrading to your
0: husband. You're married to the Adam Sandler. And then there's a guy who's also famous that does movies.
1: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and he's, yeah, he is the Adam Sandler and met him at 28. Totally, like, I, I was self-conscious at the time, but he, he put me at ease, and I think that I knew, huh, this guy really puts me at ease, I'm comfortable with him, I could totally be myself with him, I can totally, like, let my stuff fly around him, and that was great, and I, I dated, you know, a little bit before that, but not a whole heck of a lot, I did not date in high school at all, um, I had crushes. I mean don't get me wrong we all have our little crushes and our big crushes and so I didn't date in high school I didn't really date in college um I started maybe I would say when I was 25 I mean I was I was a real late bloomer
0: So how old were you when you lost your virginity
1: Oh my gosh can I tell you that I and I can't believe I'm saying this I don't even it was Really, by degrees. Wait, 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 wait!
0: Um, you haven't, you haven't lost your virginity yet. Is that oh what you're no! That's
1: my son. I have lost. My virginity. <laughs> I have definitely, at this point, lost my virginity. I would say I was, and the reason I, I have something called um, vaginismus, and it makes it made. I should say it doesn't anymore. It made intercourse very, very painful. So it kind of, by degrees, lost my virginity. With
0: when- oh, is, is that related to the overall diagnosis? or is this a different
1: it can be, yes. Okay. because you um the because the vaginal opening is smaller okay. and you have like an enlarged clitoris and there's all this stuff that goes along with it and so uh sex at the beginning was very hard. I would say that I honestly I would say I feel like I lost my virginity in my late 20s. Yeah. That would be when I like probably officially lost my virginity. Um you know, I was sexually active before that, but I didn't lose my virginity until then. And It was hard, man. It was hard to have sex. It was really challenging. It hurt. It was scary. Not to mention the fact that the excess hair growth scared the heck out of me. I didn't want anybody like noticing it, commenting on it, you know, and people didn't. People were very kind. Um, But I feel like that sort of fear and that sort of tension really made it very difficult to be intimate with people, both emotionally and physically. Cause I lost my
0: virginity at 25 after I was married. So I, so, so I'm in the mid twenties to late twenties with you.
1: All right. High five. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think a, lot of, a lot of people have that, you know, that's yeah. the thing is secrets. Secrets are a big deal. And when, when people, you know, have, when people, you know, you're supposed to lose your virginity early. I don't know if you're supposed to, but you know, the cool kids did. Right. I mean, there yeah. was a kid. But I think when people are late bloomers or maybe something doesn't happen to them until like way later than it's quote unquote supposed to, maybe people don't talk about it. And that's why I'm glad to be able to talk about it. I'm glad to be able to, to share that because I hope that somebody out there hears this and is like, huh, I'm not alone in fill in the blank. I'm not the only person who experiences fill in the blank.
0: I mean, that's the reason why I read is because you 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 know it's just i'm in, i'm an insatiable reader because i couldn't read that much until i was in my 20s after i got out uh, after i started to get out of the religion a little bit cuz worldly mm-hmm. books bad don't read that read bible literature that's it but mm-hmm. <clears throat> but i but i got exposed to it and it was speaking to my heart and it and it, and i still just have that insatiable Appetite for um for authors who are true and honest and just you know just I'm reading this book now called Solenoid and they and it's and it's a lot of it's just kind of about lonely middle age and loneliness and it, the guy just goes for it and and it's and I'm just eating it up and there's just like zero shame. He's just like punch, 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 and I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's just It's, it's the, it's that diving into the human condition. that I feel like um, if, you know, we can express it through conversation with each other, but to express it on a larger scale, I don't know. I don't know if we can express it as deeply as books.
1: I think Hmm. that you're right about that. I mean, you, you know, I think art is a huge, perhaps the hugest venue for something like that. It's really, really crucial. And I think art is really important for reassuring each other and ourselves that we are in this together. We're not alone. Um, and our different discrete experiences don't necessarily fence us off from one another. And in reading books, I mean, I've, I've taken so much just from, from reading all kinds of different books. And when I wrote Bearded Lady, I really wanted people to be able to peek into the human condition in a way that maybe they hadn't before or hadn't considered or hadn't really even wanted to explore. And, you know, whether I have or not, I leave that to the people who read it, but that was my intent. My intent was to offer my little slice of the world and, and in hopes of connecting with other people.
0: It hasn't been out that long. Have you started to receive any, um, Uh, any feedback from people who are like, Oh my God, this is my experience. You, you wrote my experience. Thank you.
1: Yes. In Mm -hmm. fact, just the other day, I received an email from a woman in San Antonio, (laughs) excuse me, who said, you know, I have congenital adrenal hyperplasia and I want to thank you. I want to thank you for writing this book. I want to thank you for telling your story. And I have had her, I have heard other people say that as well. Like, thank you for opening up. And to me, that's the ultimate compliment is this connected with me thank you because I've had those feelings too like oh my gosh you know you you wrote and I'm trying to think of like specific books that really did that for me and you know of of course I'm blanking on that at the moment well I'm reading a book right now called With Teeth which is very interesting it's by a woman named Kristen Arnett and there's a lot of things about parenthood in there and man I'm reading it like oh this is so liberating. This is so liberating. I'm not the only person who feels this way. And there's a certain triumph to that. There's a certain triumph, both on the part of the reader and the writer. And it's almost like we're shaking hands over the transom or high-fiving. It's like, hey, I get you. I understand you. And what more could you ask for?
0: Yeah, that's, that's the lovely thing is like the, it's reading a book's the conversation. And my friend, Janet Fitch, I always credit her for this. Reading is breathing in, writing is breathing out. She says, mm. and I'm just like, Amen. And it's just like, you know, just I, it's just being part of that conversation is just so intense. What is it about? What would if you want if you'd like to share, you can say Tony no. But what is it about um, parenting where you went? Oh man, I think like that, but that's shameful and embarrassing.
1: Oh my gosh, I will. I'm happy to talk about it. There is a section in there where she's uh, the main character is ruminating about uh, feeling like a service object for the child, like feeling like not even like a person like you're like a waitress. Right. I mean, it's like Garcon coffee. I mean, it's totally like that. (laughs) (laughs) that's how it feels sometimes. And I mean, I I will stop and say that my son is a really easygoing sweet kid, and I'm Uh super, super fortunate. But that said, you know, there are times that I feel like I exist to get him milk, put on PBS kids, um, and then step off, mom, step off. And there are times that there is a huge resentment there. Just the other day, I was like, I've hit a wall, I'm done, and I need to go out and experience the world away from my son. There is no guilt in that. There is no shame in that. I love him dearly. But there is that idea of parenthood as this constant constant quasi servitude and i don't fall for it i don't believe in it i feel like you need a break because it is so total and it is so intense and i always need a break and i'm very fortunate to be able to get one
0: so interesting because i don't have kids but i love i adore kids but at the same time i can under i mean i don't understand in any way at all but i can picture being 24 seven, this thing needing me. And at some point, I'm just like, um, you know, can we put you back in? Can, can right?
1: We- right. It's like, all right, dude. I mean, my, my husband and I would joke about like, Adam, and I will joke about sending him off to the fire station. Like, mm. are you too old to get dropped off at the fire station? <laughs> I mean, You know, the other day we had a drop off birthday party and these things are wonderful. It's like, okay, let's take him up to Lawrence hall of science drop him off, run to the bar, get a couple of drinks. I mean, it was wonderful. We got to spend some time together on Telegraph Avenue and it was great. And I just, I don't cue to the idea that I am there for my son 24. I mean, I'm always there for him. Yeah, But I'm not subject to his needs 24 seven. There are many times when I say to him, his name is Buzz, and I'll say, Buzz, you need to wait, honey. You need to wait. And he has actually learned that. He'll say, do I have to wait? And I'll say, yes. You have to wait because mommy's, you know, doing fill in the blank or, you know, mommy's busy with whatever, or mommy's doesn't feel like getting up and fulfilling your need for milk or whatever right now. And I feel like that teaches him a good lesson too, because the world is not going to fulfill his needs 24 seven. And I can't either. And I shouldn't, I think that that's not the message I want to get across to him.
0: It sounds like he, his name Boz. Buzz. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like he's gonna turn out to be a very well balanced human from what you're doing. What now the most important question here is uh because you're in Berkeley, what what bar did you go to?
1: We went to rallies on Telegraph Avenue. Rallies,
0: which, I don't know that one rallies is that new
1: no rallies. So rallies is old, but it yeah. burned down a few years ago and they rebuilt it. Telegraph and what? Telegraph in haste. So it's oh, like so it's
0: it's all it's like right by the BART stop.
1: It's not no? far from. It's like well, it's a little bit up from BART, like Telegraph. Uh-huh. The Telegraph area is a little bit up from downtown Berkeley BART. It's um, it's, it's not far. Oh from- right. Oh oh, Telegraph. I'm thinking Shattuck. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. It's on Telegraph. It's near Cafe Intermezzo, um, which is now just Mezzo. And uh-huh. Ralphie's is great. It's like classic student bar. And when we were there. Okay like UCLA water polo fans were going nuts. And it was just, it was kind of cool. And I got the yeah. spiked coffee and it was nice to just be there with my husband. And, you know, frankly, not be, a. I mean, I'm always a parent, but it's nice to be off duty sometimes. And I yeah. tell this to buzz, I'll say, mommy's off duty light is flickering really hard right now. Yeah. And he gets it, he laughs, he understands. Um, so I feel like we all need that time to go to the bar, go to the cafe, go hang yeah. out with friends. Go take a walk. Whatever you need to do to just step off from that really potentially soul crushing responsibility, I think you got to do it.
0: I was gonna. I like Jupiter. Is Jupiter still there? Jupiter is absolutely still here. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Jupiter's
0: great. Yeah. I haven't been there in twenty years. I mean, I don't even think I've been to Berkeley in twenty years. So, oh man,
1: yeah, because what
0: I know the last years I spent in San Francisco was just like you couldn't even get me out of my neighborhoods because I was essentially, you know, writing for the Chronicle and covering live bands and I was at shows all the time. So to, to you know, to, I'd be like walking to get to the mission district. And before I even got like two blocks away, they'd be like, Oh dude, you know, I'd see bands going, dude, we're playing the hemlock tonight. And I would be like, well, I'm going with you guys. And it's just like <laughs> yeah, I- that, to even get out of the city those years was just now, it's just now it seems like from what I understand. Let's all go to Oakland to see bands you know so
1: yeah it's it's very different it's definitely become a little more east bay centric yeah. and i've always lived in the east bay first i can never afford to live in san francisco and then my life just became a little more tied to the east yeah. bay. i've never lived in the city i'd love to live there though i was just there i was at green apple books and oh
0: oh i love green apple and i love i love all the chinese food in that area just like a, a good long green apple Books stroll and then the, there's a chinese restaurant i can't remember what it is a half about a half a block away that's just like if you try to speak english in there they just look at you like you're crazy you just go number 12 and they're like oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i love it i love it there it's great i love getting into the city i don't know if i'll ever live there but what do i yeah. love to there
0: Yeah. When, when I moved, well, I was married at the time and lived there at the beginning and then we tried the East Bay for more space, but it turned out, I was starting to do a little bit of a stand-up comedy and a couple of other things. And I like going to San Francisco, couldn't be a big thing for me. I needed to like be able to leave the house for 30 minutes and then come home, Leave, leave the house and go do a set for five minutes and then come home. So it couldn't, it couldn't be a big deal where i can just practice what i needed to do and so it's just like you know you just you suck it up and you take a lot smaller space which i i've realized over the years that smaller space and location are so much more important but i do i love a garden one day
1: one day (laughs) when i grow
0: up i want a garden
1: (laughs) you know it's a nice thing it's like and especially like we have a dog um and so it's it's challenging not to have a yard if you have a dog. And oh. you know, there are just there are trade-offs. There are so many trade-offs, but man, living in the city is so tempting. I mean it's but then I look at the rents and I'm like, what? What is this? Yeah. You can't you just can't do it. But you go into the city and it's the energy is just there's nothing like it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's why uh, rent control. Thank the Lord for rent control. Oh,
1: yes, absolutely. <laughs> we have it too.
0: Do you? Oh, yeah. It, lucky.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. It's hard to move when you have rent control. It's kind of. It is. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. I know part of me is just like, because I, I, the place I'm in in Los Angeles, I don't have a garage and I didn't realize how important it is to have a garage when you have a car, especially in a high population area. But, oh, <clears throat> but, um, but, you know, the pain of that, I'm just like. I've been, I've been looking, I'll even pay like 300 bucks for a garage. I don't care, but it's just like, I can't even find that, but it's just like, you know, the money I'm saving in rent, this not having a garage and just finding parking and stuff. It's okay. It's like, like, this is like a thousand dollars, like of, you know, just inconvenience, but it's in my pocket essentially.
1: Right. It balances out. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, especially in the city, you really have to think about that. You yeah. really have to think about like, all right, how much am I how much inconvenience am I willing to put up with versus how much money do I want to save? And, and right. calculus is different.
0: And when when I lived in San Francisco, I didn't have a car. So that just, you know, it made it a lot easier at the time because it's just either walk muni. And then when I had a little extra money, a cab until Uber came along.
1: <laughs> right. And that's a whole different do you have a car in LA, I assume?
0: Oh, you gotta have a car. It was um Yeah. A lovely student of mine. um, I came to uh, LA and I'm, I mean, I live near a Metro. So a lot of people don't realize like, there's like a pretty cool Metro system in LA and it's like a subway system. And so I made sure to like live near the subway system thinking that that would be enough. And a friend of mine was just like, Tony, you're not going to make it without a car. And she had two cars and she's like, I'm not using this one. And someone gifted me the other one. So take this. And I'm like, okay. And I'm just like sitting there going, "Oh, great there's another expense. Boy, I had no clue how much I needed that car because the the Metro doesn't go everywhere. And if you really want to use public transit in LA, it can take three to four hours one way. <laughs> it's just because, and That's you're amazing. going, yeah, but you're it's at the same time, it's just LA is so many different cities put together. So your bus will only go to a certain point and then you have to get on something else to transfer to another bus that's in another city. But but essentially you're in the same city, but you're not. And it's just, um, yeah, it's pretty intense. So driving in LA, I'm fortunate because I never really had to commute. So I don't know how people commute in LA, but when I've had to do stuff I always made sure that my hours were tweaked so I didn't have to commute during commute so I can get to a place without, you know. I mean I don't know those I don't know real I don't know how more people don't get killed on the freeways
1: here. <laughs> it's just like No, seriously, it's it scares me down there. Although I don't know if it's harder to drive up here or in LA. LA is kind of like just people just get on the freeway and just zoom. And here it's more like some people are slow, some people are fast. You know, it's, I'm not the best driver anyway, so I try to, you know, I when, yeah. I can't say I avoid driving, but I get a little nervous and driving in L.A. scares the heck out of me.
0: I've had more aggression from drivers in San Fran, not, not in the city of San Francisco so much, but especially in the East Bay and the suburbs, mm-hmm. the aggressive and um, what do they call it? The road rage from drivers in the yeah. Bay Area is worse than Los Angeles. Wow. Um, the, in Los Angeles. There's kind of um uh there's there's a culture, you know, yes, there's road rage, but there's also a culture of, OK, that dude's probably been on the 405 for two hours and went three miles and you're not going to sit there and go, you know, but but in but when I I don't like driving at all on the Bay Area. I hate it. It's like yeah. and it's because there's more rage in a different way. And I just I I'm, I've never been good at it.
1: People can be really passive aggressive here. Yeah. It's, it's And I think it really comes through in things like driving, even how you walk across the street. It's yeah. just a little, I mean, I've lived here a long time and I both love it and have issues with it. But yeah, I think people can be very passive aggressive. People in Berkeley drive me nuts.
0: Oh, Berkeley just drives me nuts. I, I had to leave Berkeley because I was just losing my mind because that, that's when the pedestrian right of way law happened. And then so people would walk out into the street and just be looking at the sky and not even realize that you have to like slam on your brakes cuz you didn't see them make a turn you know and it, and it was just they were being that arrogant and I'm like I got to get out of Berkeley it's driving me crazy it's just like protest protest clueless pedestrians they it's just I'm just like I need to be somewhere where um where the lunacy is happening, but there's a lot of great things happening. Like I can go pop over and see a band or pop over. Right.
1: Right. But I do
0: love Berkeley. I think I can live there now, like as I'm older now. So I'm just like, like
1: Kensington. Oh my God. If I can live in Kensington. Kensington is gorgeous. Kensington is just like beautiful, completely beautiful. And something I know that you'd like about Berkeley is the cafes. Oh yeah. So many amazing cafes here. Yeah. It's just awesome. It's just beautiful. And I wrote Bearded Lady in like so many of those cafes. Like yeah. so, so, so many. And, and you know, some of them are gone now, unfortunately. Like the great, long lamented Cafe Mediterranean on Telegraph is gone. A um, coca is gone. Although um, my husband called it a Frappole. He hated it. <laughs> he hated it. Um, but there are so many good ones here, and they would let you sit for hours. Mm-hmm. And just write and you know on the street of a, <clears throat> a cup of coffee. So it was fabulous. You know, it was great. And I mean I tend to I tend to write at home sometimes, but cafes are my my jam. That's what and Berkeley does cafes beautifully.
0: So, so how do you write your first drafts? Do you type them in or do you handwrite? What's what's your what's your way to get into the story?
1: <clears throat> I used to handwrite and then I realized I couldn't read my own writing, which I mean it's <laughs> a total chicken scratch. It's horrible. So I started typing and now I type really fast. So I do type it Like I'll type it and then I'll go through and I'll edit it using like the edit function. I used to print it out and that was just like, I don't edit well on hard copy for some reason. It doesn't work for me. Like I edit well on screen. So maybe I'm used to that from, uh, I do, I do coaching and I edit on screen. So maybe that's why I do that. So I'll go through, I'll edit it. I'll kind of put it away. I'll think about it for a couple of weeks and then I'll do it again. And I just go through the iterations. Um, I'll write several drafts before I'm done. That is always, I'm trying to
0: minimize. Only only several?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, several is is a, it's a, (laughs) what's the word I'm thinking of? I mean, it's, it's a nice way of saying 8 million. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I write a lot, lot, a lot of drafts. And
0: yeah, do you? Oh, yeah. I'm on. I'm on draft eleven of my novel right now, and I thought I I thought I really had it to the first twenty, and then a friend of mine just gave me a note where I was like, "Oh my god!" She just like resolved a problem that's in the middle of my book that should be in the front of my book, and I'm, I'm we're gonna get on the phone after after taping this, but it's just um, it's kind of like you know how like the building the puzzle and it's just like starts to come together. And then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh wait, that's not the right picture. we got to move it a little bit more. and Right. Know.
1: That's a great analogy. And that totally rings true with me. I mean, there's that puzzle and there's always that missing piece. And yeah. it's like, how do you, and then there's the then there's a the piece that doesn't play well with others. And it's just, you know, it's, it's hard. It's such an imperfect art because I think art is imperfect, yeah. but I would rather do nothing else. I have to say, even as I'm frustrated to death, sometimes I, I writing is my jam.
0: Wait, when did you know that writing was your
1: jam? Oh my gosh. Always. Really? I was, I was five years old and I was making up things left and right. We, um, when I, when I was in a kid, we were supposed to do book reports and I just got so bored of writing about books that existed that I started making up books because it was easier for me to make up a book and write about it than to actually read a book and report on it. And when my teachers found out, they didn't know what to do with me because it's like, well, this kid is totally subverting what we're trying to do here, but it's pretty creative. You know, what do we do? They were just sort of stymied. Um, so I mean, I've always known, it's always how I've made sense of the world. It's always how I've looked at the world. Um, I think when I moved to the Bay area, that's when I got really serious. I was 22. I got very serious about it. I started getting into writing groups and taking classes and it just went from there. And it's, it, I've never become cynical about it. I was talking to my therapist today and she was saying, you have a really good approach to your work. And it's like, yeah, you know, I'm neurotic about so many other things and not when it comes to writing, writing and I are good friends. Where did you grow up? I grew up in San Diego.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, so it's not—it's not that much of a stretch. It's not like you were. San Diego is such a beautiful city. Do you? Do you? Th- now, as someone who grew up there, do you think that way? Because I have a hard time with Millbrae in the suburbs of San Francisco growing up there, and so.
1: Right, because it's where you grew up, and and you have your associations there, and it's no different for me with San Diego. Like, I do think it's a beautiful city, but I. I drive my father crazy by calling it Bland Diego. It just, there's (laughs) way too few bookstores. There's way too few people who actually like engage in the kind of conversation we're engaging in. At least that's that's my assessment of it. That said, I have some wonderful friends there and my entire family lives there. So that's both a good thing and a challenging thing. And I do make my way back every so often. Um, But it's the kind of place that I don't think, I, I don't feel that I fit in very well in San Diego, there is a bit of an image thing that goes on, and I'm not terribly good with image. So I yeah. never been in there. And but I have I have both good memories and challenging memories. And as a city, I think it's a great city to be from. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> now, are you a baseball fan?
1: I, you know, in this year I have been. Yeah, because of the Padres. Padres. The Padres actually did quite well. Yeah. But the you know they got their butts kicked by uh, was it the Phillies? No, yes, the yeah. Phillies. The Phillies brought them down. I was not happy to see. I, I actually like the Yankees. People can hate me for that. My parents are from New York, so I like the Yankees. But oh really?
0: I, oh okay. Yeah. When when did they move? When did they leave New York?
1: They left New York before I was born. They lived in okay. the Bronx and they moved up to. Tennessee. Oh, so of course
0: it. it's the Yankees because the Bronx is the Yankees.
1: Bronx Bombers. I mean that's yeah, their thing. Yeah. Yeah, they love it, and the, like they're both big Yankee. They, they're not fans of each other, but they're big Yankees fans. They share that in common. But yeah. I, I do like the Padres. I saw the Padres when I was a kid. I was enjoying watching them. You know, this year they kind of went down. You know, they they went down, but they went down fighting. So I was yeah,
0: because because me growing up in Milperra, I grew up near candle I mean, I was close enough to Candlestick Park, exactly. so that was giant. I grew up just just like oh okay, you just know the giants and that's it. And we and like we created, I remember creating stories with my friends where it's just like okay, Willie McCovey's up to the plate, and what if blank and blank, and we we it was like such a part of like just the existence of how we talk to each other as kids. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize that other people don't have major league baseball teams in their cities. It didn't click until like a decade ago, where it's just like Oh, wait, you can grow up in Ohio and, uh, you know, or even be be in Reno and you have to make like a weekend trip to be, a, to go to Giants games when we would just be like, oh, do you guys want to go today and like just drive up, find a parking spot in Visitation Valley because it costs too much to park at Candlestick, mm-hmm. walk through and get $5 bleacher seats, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's
1: proximity. Proximity yeah. is a real thing. You know, if I had grown up, closer in in san diego i think i would have liked it better but as it was i grew up in sticks i grew up in poway which is way the heck out there it's um i mean it's not really it's maybe a 20 30 minute drive from downtown but it might as well be chicago i mean it is way far and it's where all the ball players live actually they all live in like tony Gwynn lived in poway and they all live in poway and it's like where they go to like build their homes or whatever um, <laughs> excuse me, but that's where I grew up. I grew up in North County. And okay. it, there's not much going on in North County. And if I grown up further in, yeah, I think I would have liked San Diego a lot better because it is a cool city. I, I give it short shrift. It's a cool city, but and I, I do love the Padres. I wish I had gone to see them more, like you know, as a grown up. I mean, I I left when I was 18 to go to school in Santa Barbara and then I just made my way up the coast to yeah, what, what to made you Northern choose
0: Padres. San Francisco?
1: You know, I I knew people were different here. Yeah. I felt that. I felt that I would be comfortable here. And the reality is, I am, and I always have been. I feel very comfortable here. I feel like the oddballs come to play here, and I really enjoy that because I too am an oddball. So yeah. that works for me.
0: I, it's, I I like look like it's like the it's like weirdos. I need to find my weirdos. And even in Los Angeles, it's just like oh, whew, I found my weirdos. And if, even if I go to a party, I'm like, you know, I'll feel out of place, but then I'll see like a couple of weirdos and I'll be like, those are my people. And then I'll just, yeah. and those will, that'll be the beautiful conversation I have and talk to those people and become friends. You know,
1: that's awesome, man. I mean, there's definitely weirdos in LA, so, yeah. you know, it's, it's a good, like, I mean, LA is huge. There's something for everybody down there, I think.
0: The creative juices in LA really surprised me. The, the people who are not in it, you know, it's, it's not like Los Angeles. Yes. It's Paris Hilton and stuff like that. But, but there's a lot of Los Angeles where people are just, they are in it for the love and it's just, it's Mm -hmm. like, it feeds the soul. It feeds the creative soul, but you have to look for it and you have to not be, um, not have a chip on your shoulder, which I think a lot of people come in with a chip on their shoulder if they're from, you know, I mean, I think I had a chip on my shoulder a little bit as a San Franciscan coming in that I had to go, Oh, I better knock this chip off a little bit and just relax a little. And I I think I had to learn a little more about
1: myself and kind of not be a dick, (laughs) you know? Yep. Yep. That's, that's the rule I have for my kid, you know, don't do that to yourself and don't do that to other people. Yeah. You know, and I feel like that covers a lot of ground. But, yeah, I mean, I know what you mean about the chip on the shoulder. Like, I think I, too, have that when I go to L.A., but there's so much in L.A. I mean, it's a rich city with, like, it's complex.
0: Yeah, it and, like it. and it's lovely. I mean, it's it's amazing. I'm I, I know my next book is a very L.A.-centric book, and I've started to make notes on it because, the book I'm working on now I've been working on for over a year. So I feel like I'm kind of closing it out hopefully. Mm -hmm. And now I, and now I have my little mistress on the side and I'm starting with her and she seems to be a little more, let's, let's dive into the LA. um, The scenario.
1: Roll with it, man. Roll with it. It's all we do. That's all we do. All you gotta do.
0: Allison, thank you for coming on the show.
1: It was a pleasure, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here.
2: 30 more miles to San Diego. Packed her things and gone And it just don't pay to leave a woman alone too long Thirty more miles of pushing this diesel How can such a short way seem so long Someday you're gonna come in off that road, boy Find my sweet mama packed and gone And it just don't pay to leave a woman alone too long Darling, it's not that I don't trust you I know what it means to be alone Try your best to fight off temptation Your ever-loving daddy's coming home Thirty more miles to San Diego Ooh, I'm tired I'm weary to the bone I have needed my sweet mama's good loving I gotta make up for the time I've been gone And it just don't pay to leave a woman alone too long And it just don't pay to leave a woman do a woman alone too long.
0: Allison Landa on Drinks with Tony. Check out her new book, Bearded Lady. When you're a woman with a beard, your secret is written all over your face. Next week on the show, we have John Bennett. He's the author of the poetry collection, Leisure Town. There's a magic in storytelling. Keep bringing that magic into your life and even create that magic. Tell your story. Stand tall. And I hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you next week.
2: Here I am, cause there's no other place I can go, but I can see you're a lot like me. So maybe we know, somewhere people like to stand out, but we to out, we
0: nine FM KPCR LP Santa Cruz.